Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning, and we are glad that you are here with us, and we're glad to have the halls with us as well. I was hearing Lily telling about you graduating and graduating high school, and I'm going to tell a funny Lily story, if that's okay. I don't know that, that she's going to remember this or not, but it's something that has stuck with me for a long time. But whenever I first started here, I ended up teaching Bible classes, and I had Lily in class one time. And uh, I remember her asking me a question. Are Hugh and Rosie your, your mama and daddy? And I said, well, no. Well, why do you sit with them? And I... I've known Hugh and Rosalie for a long time from the Friday night singings and, and it just so happened that when I came here I accidentally sat in their pew, didn't really even really know it. I sat in Hugh's seat and they just sat on the other side, never said anything, I just stayed there. But anyway, she asked me why I was sitting with them and well, I've known them a long time and you know, I explained that to her. And uh, from then on I started calling them Mama Rosie and Papa Hugh and to this day they are still Mama Rosie. And Papa Hugh, Vicky's sister, which that puzzles everybody at the school because she works with us now. And so, uh, anyway, it's something that has really stuck. And so, you started something, didn't even know it. But anyway, since they were here, I thought I would tell that story. Today's lesson is why I want you to be a Christian. I have been pondering some thoughts regarding Christianity over the last week or two. Uh, in the videos that I've been doing on Facebook, uh, we looked at the wedding parables. And one of the, the thoughts, the, one of the main things that has really stuck in my mind is just the, the theme of weddings. Because weddings are a very joyous occasion. And, and that's what Christianity should be. It should be a, a very joyous thing. But I realize that there are a lot of people in the world that do not see Christianity as a joyous thing but they see it more as a chore. There are many people that refuse Christianity because they see it as something that, that, that they really should do, but it's not something that they really want to do. I'm going to share this from the standpoint of, uh, of presenting the message to someone who is not a Christian. But it is not only to someone who is not a Christian. I want this lesson to be an encouragement for all of us. I, I want us to be, all have the, the same idea as to how to present Christianity to someone who is not a Christian. What reasons we might give that we would say, this is why I want you to be a Christian. So I want this lesson to be an encouragement to all of us, whether Christians or not. Uh, even though it does have, have the, the mentality of going to someone who is not a Christian. But I, I, I begin with this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? And, and we could, could ask other questions in connection to that. Have you obeyed the gospel? Do you know the gospel message? Do you know what is required for you? Do you know what God wants you to do in order to become a Christian? And if you are not a Christian, 
Even if you're unsure, there are many people that obey the gospel that later in years, they're unsure of their salvation. So maybe they are baptized again for the right reason. To make sure of their salvation. But if you are not a Christian, if you are here today or if you are hearing this message and you are not a Christian, I want you to be a Christian. The decision to become a Christian is the greatest decision that I have ever made for myself. I remember years ago when I did decide to become a Christian at the age of 14. I remember speaking to my dad about it beforehand. Uh, it was a Monday. I had, had been pondering some thoughts since the Sunday morning before. And all day Monday and, and came home that afternoon. And, and I said something to my mom about it. And so I talked to my dad that evening when he got home from work. And I remember him saying to me, you know, when I became a Christian, that was the greatest day of my life. Even aside from marrying your mom, and you know, that was a great day. But the greatest decision that I've ever made was to become a Christian. As long as you understand what that means, then, then we'll take care of that tonight. And we did. And, and becoming a Christian, that was the greatest day of my life. We remember a lot of dates. Do you remember the, the date that you were baptized? August 31st, 1998 was the day that I was baptized. I remember that. And, and I hope that you remember that date too for those of you that are Christians. And because I know what it means to be a Christian... Because I know the joys of being a Christian and because I love you, I want you to be a Christian too. Our lesson objectives for this morning are first of all to learn what it means to be a Christian from a biblical perspective. And for you to understand why I want you not only to be a Christian, but why I want you to be a faithful child of God. I'm going to give you five reasons in all for either being a Christian or remaining faithful. And I hope that these are, are somewhat easy to remember. But we begin with, I want you to be a Christian because. I want you to be a Christian because of its benefits. There are many things to be gained from Christianity. Uh, there are many things that, that need to be sacrificed as well. When we think of becoming Christians, we think of repentance and, and putting aside our old life and, and the way that we have formerly lived. But there are many benefits to Christianity. Many benefits to following Christ. And these are just a few. The blessings of God are greater than the than anything this world could provide us with. The blessings of God are greater than the things of this world. And we have some examples of those that realize this. 
Moses, for instance, thought so. As we read in Hebrews 11 and beginning with verse 24. Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 26. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses realized that following God was the greatest decision he could make. Even being in the palace, even being considered uh, the, the grandson of, of Pharaoh, even in all of that he knew that they were passing pleasures. And he chose the people of God instead of the passing pleasures of sin. Abraham understood the importance of following God. He left his family and everything that he had ever known in his life to follow where God was leading him. Hebrews 11 and beginning with verse 8. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, both of these men that we mentioned, both Moses and Abraham could see beyond the temporary pleasures of the world. And as we look a little deeper, we understand that they saw reward in following God. They saw reward. Despite not knowing for sure what the reward was going to be, they knew by faith that it was greater than anything the world could offer them. And especially when we think of, of Abraham and what he did because he never saw the end of what he was doing in his lifetime. It wasn't until those that came after him, Isaac and Jacob, that, that God would fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. And yet Abraham followed God he forsook anything that he had, had ever known in this life to follow God. Unfortunately, there are also those who put too much stock in the riches of the world, if you will. But think of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. We think of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. And we think of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. And all of these we are told made decisions based on the pleasures of the world. Based on temporary riches. Uh, we could add the, the rich young ruler to this list. And many others. They made choices based on things of this world. That would pass away. And unfortunately as far as we know. That was 
their final choice. Jesus has told us that the riches of eternity are much greater than the riches of the world. It's important that we not be so nearsighted that we only see the things immediately around us. If I take off my glasses, I am nearsighted. I can see things really up close, but I can't see in a distance. And there are many people that, that see in that same way. They, they see the things close to them, but they cannot see far ahead into the future. They cannot see into eternity, and they base their decisions on spiritual nearsightedness. But Jesus tells us to be far-sighted, to see beyond the things immediately close to us. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't place your treasures here on earth. Because they will rust and right away. They will, they will be stolen. But place for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that is where you will be. We know that a place in heaven is prepared for us based on Jesus promised in John 14 and verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. It is this reward that those who have gone before us long for. As we read in Hebrews 11, Verses 13 through 16. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let's see beyond the temporary pleasures of this life. Let's see what is ahead of us. Should we be found faithful in Christ? I want you to be a Christian so that you can be assured of your salvation. So that you can be assured of your salvation. Christians can be sure that they are saved. There are many who obey the gospel and and at times they may question their salvation for one reason or another. But Christians can be sure that they are saved if 
they have done the Father's will. It, it begins in obedience to the gospel. We think back to uh, what Peter told the Jews on the day of Pentecost. When they asked that great question, what shall we do? What did Peter say? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Acts 2 verses 37 through 39. They asked what they needed to do. And he gave them the answer. Repent. Be baptized. And if you do these things, then you will receive the forgiveness of your sin. But there is something that they must do in order to be saved. From a scriptural standpoint, we understand that only those who have submitted to the Father's will in this way can be assured of their salvation. Mark 16, 16 puts it very plainly. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And so we understand that, that if we are willing to submit to the Father's will, and if we are willing to obey repentance, confession of faith, baptism for the remission of sins, if we have done those things, then we are saved. And of course we have to have the right heart in doing them and the right reasons behind them. But if we are obedient, we will be saved. But we also see the other side of the coin. He who does not believe. And certainly he who does not believe is not going to obey. But he who does not believe will be condemned in judgment. I want you to be sure of your salvation. I want you to know that if you've obeyed in the right way and for the right reason, that you are saved. I want you to be a Christian because I want you to be forgiven for your sins. Knowing what it means to be forgiven, I want you also to be forgiven. Only Christians can be forgiven of their sins. Now, obedience is a step in the right direction. But we understand that, that there's, there's more to it than that also. Justification of our faith is found in our obedience. James 2, beginning with verse 18. James 2 and verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe 
and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You see, obedience is important as our justification is found in our obedience. Justification for our faith is found in our obedience. Obedience is an indicator of being sure of salvation. But we must also be sure of our reason for obedience. Ultimately, we are saved by God's grace. And it is through the blood of Christ that we are forgiven for our sins. Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We understand that our forgiveness is found in Christ. In a passage that we have used on Sunday nights over the last few weeks, Romans 3, beginning with verse 23. Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because of uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of, of His precious blood, we can be forgiven if we are obedient to the Lord's plan of salvation. So I want you to be forgiven. As I realize that I am forgiven, I realize that I am unworthy of the sacrifice of Christ. But I am thankful for forgiveness. So I want you to be a Christian so that you can be forgiven too. I also want you to remain faithful. I want you to remain faithful because faithfulness is required of every Christian. Faithfulness is required of every Christian. 
Faithfulness begins with change. Change does not automatically happen when we obey the plan of salvation. It's something that we have to work on. It's something that, that we pretty much have to work on it all of our lives. But change takes place when we purpose our lives for God's service. When we pledge our allegiance to Him, if you will. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Change begins in the heart. And it leads us to present ourselves, our beings, to God as a living sacrifice. We sacrifice anything that, that we see as, as pleasurable in this world to make sure that what we're doing is pleasing to God. And in sacrificing ourselves in that way, we become holy, acceptable to God. We're not conformed to this world because this world is passing away. We know that. But we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Change is a result of our love for God. In Mark 12 and verse 30, Jesus says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And when we love God as we should, when we put Him above all as our priority in this life, not just our first priority, and as our priority over everything. When we place Him where He belongs in our lives, that's where change begins. It is a change of heart, soul, mind, and our entire being, newly focused on pleasing the God who saved us. Faithfulness is desired of each of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We are going to be stewards of, of God, stewards of Christ. Then we must be faithful stewards. Only faithful stewards will be acceptable in judgment as far as eternity and heaven is concerned. I, I want you to remain faithful because others deserve to be blessed by the gospel. And if we are faithful Christians, then we are going to share 
the message of salvation. We're going to share what has happened in our lives, what has changed in our lives. We're going to share that with other people. And others deserve to be blessed by the gospel. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus, in speaking to His apostles as He was preparing them for His ascension, His departure from them in physical form, He told them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You see, the gospel is not supposed to end with us becoming Christians. But when we become Christians, we further the gospel into the world. That is our mission. Just as the apostles were given this mission, so we are given the same mission today. If we as Christians fail to share our knowledge of what is necessary for one to become and remain a Christian, then souls will not be saved. It's our responsibility. We sang the song very fittingly before we began our Bible class this morning, Into Our Hands. Into our hands the gospel is given. Into our hands is given the light. And it is placed in our hands. And we are to, to take it from being in our hands. We are to share it with the world. That is our responsibility. Souls that are lost and, and dying will remain in this state until we all face judgment if we fail in our mission to further the gospel. So I want you to remain faithful for that reason. The responsibility of soul winning has been placed upon those who have become Christians that the great gospel message continues to save others. But it can't continue to save others unless we are responsible for presenting it to them. We all know those that, that are not Christians or who are not faithful. And it is our responsibility as Christians. It's not just the preacher's responsibility, although he does have responsibility. It's not just the elder's responsibility. It's the responsibility of all of us in the church to further the gospel to those who need it. I want to close by bringing us back to where we began in our scripture reading in Acts 26. In Acts 26 and beginning with verse 26. For the king whom, before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, You almost 
persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and all together such as I am, except for these chains. King Agrippa knew. Paul knew that he knew. And he expressed that very plainly. King Agrippa knew what he needed to do to be saved. He believed But as we see with King Agrippa, and as we see in many other examples, uh, even going back to James chapter 2 that we looked at earlier, belief, belief alone will not save you. Even the demons believe and tremble. King Agrippa believed. But he chose not to become a Christian. He chose, at least at this moment, to remain almost persuaded. And Paul states in verse 29, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am. He was a Christian. And he wanted them to become Christians as well. Paul urged King Agrippa to become a Christian and he chose to be almost persuaded. Only almost persuaded. He believed, but he wasn't ready to become a Christian. If you were to face judgment today, which way would you go? Are you almost persuaded? You can make yourself fully persuaded today. If you're not a Christian, then we would love to assist you in baptizing you for the remission of your sins, if that's what you're ready for. Maybe you're not a faithful child of God. Maybe you need to come back and repent. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness or you need to ask for prayer. Will you be almost persuaded or will you be fully persuaded to become a Christian, to be a faithful child of God? If we can assist you, we give you the opportunity to respond. Let's see how we stand and as we sing.